0: Welcome back to Making the Metaverse with me, Michael Carter. Making the Metaverse is presented by on theblockchain.ca, Canada's fastest growing blockchain community. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another fascinating episode of Making the Metaverse with me, Michael Carter, and a fantastic guest today that I'm very pleased to have on the show. Uh, Adam Simmons is Chief Strategy Officer for RDX Works, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about how he found his way into the space and some of the earlier projects actually that i have an interest in that i connected with uh, earlier on so welcome to the show adam thank you very much for having me michael glad to be here um, so um, do you can you tell us start a little bit with uh, rdx works just to jump right in
1: yeah so rdx works is one of the core developers behind the radix public network um, the radix network is what's called a layer one Network. So it's a smart contract platform. And one of our key focuses is on DeFi, so decentralized finance. I've been with RDX now for just over two and a half years. I, I joined when the team was about 20, 25 people. Um, currently, we're, we're about to hit the 100 people mark. So we've had quite a lot of growth in that stage. Um, been doing some really, really interesting stuff around DeFi, especially really kicking off around before even the DeFi summer was was a a big thing and and what attracted me to this was the the rare opportunity you get in in a career where you can work on something that has both very very high degrees of practical application uh, and commercial um, application and also very high societal impact and so while i think that that anything involving finance is never going to be hundred percent fair and and utopian. I think the world we can build with, with web three and decentralized finance ultimately makes it a lot more equal in opportunity that people have to access these platforms and can lead to some pretty amazing things. Um, the likes of which we haven't really seen since kind of the information revolution, the internet brought through.
0: Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting times for sure. And, um, there's, uh, There's a, an air of opportunity and an air of, um, yet to be determined. So there's an opportunity to actually shape what comes, uh, which I I think is really exciting. Did you, did you start in the space with, uh, RDX or did you, did you have another project like, what, tell me like, what were you doing before you stumbled into blockchain, into web three, like how long ago was that? What, what were you doing then?
1: Yeah, so probably easiest is go like a, a long way back. So mm-hmm. I started my career in online video. So initially as a, a content creator myself in the, the video game and esports space, uh, being on camera, working with a range of like the world's biggest games publishers and, and content creation pieces. As as is always the way when you're in that industry, um, on, on camera work, you can only do so much in a day. So we started doing more stuff behind the scenes, organizing mm-hmm. events, um, creating content, doing a lot more of the business side and that got me into an online video uh, platform as in in the pre-seed stage where i came in originally just to help them with their their rollout of content um a long a long story short i ended up as their their head of all of content and marketing um, by the end and and grew that business quite successfully and obviously being in a a tech heavy space uh, quite a geeky space in all the best ways obviously crypto and and web3 technology blockchain hit our radar really early actually um i i had a personal interest in it you see it in places where you're naturally hanging out and, and discussions around this all the way back to kind of the the 2013 2014 where wow. you start, oh, wow. start hearing <laughs> whispers about it don't really yeah. think too much um I, I remember people sending like small amounts of, of to- like tokens bitcoin and stuff um across things like reddit in in different chat rooms and stuff like that but in all honestly didn't pay that much attention to it at that point it was like it was a cool thought experiment didn't really dive in heavily hmm. okay. um quite interestingly the, the video platform i joined um level up media the one of our seed investors um and really our, our main seed investor had an interest in crypto mining um so he had a, a data center uh, business and used spare capacity to to do mining and so for quite a long time he was a a really big evangelist for blockchain technology and was like you guys should really look at this there's going to be some really really big stuff here and again for full disclosure at the time we're like yeah this looks cool but we we've got a successful rapidly growing scale-up company Hmm. we're very profitable and there's things we could do here but it's a bit of a distraction we're we're not 100 sure on this yet so we'll, we'll just keep an eye on it and that was really our approach for many years, specifically from kind of like the the 2014 through to about the, the 2015 2016 period. And uh, in the video industry, there was there was quite a big shakeup around that time. Um, some of you may remember hearing headlines about the the YouTube ad um, it was where there was a, a big advertiser revolt against YouTube and online video for, uh, kind of long story short, uh, some video, some adverts showed against some undesirable content, hmm. uh, very undesirable content hmm. on the platform. And so there was a, a big pullout of, of advertising from the space. And as an online video platform, our predominant revenue source was video ads. Uh, we were as much a, an ad tech company as we were mm-hmm. a online video platform. Yeah. And so very quickly, our, our revenue shut down overnight and we were like, this is crazy. And there was a few other things in the industry where many of us have been like, this really isn't working very well. It's very much a black box. It's untransparent. It's not good for viewers. It's not good for creators. It's not good for the businesses. There's really no one benefiting from this system. And so when we had this real inflection point of the industry, having this big shakeup and needing to really, rethink, we decided to go and again, sit there and go, well, blockchain technology could solve a lot of this. Um, and one of the interesting things that we found and, and we founded a company, I was one of the co-founders called Veracity. One of the things mm, we veracity, made yeah. early on, one of the things we, we early on made a choice on was using, using blockchain DLT technology for elements of benefits, not every element for the sake of it. So at the time, and this was in like the 2017, uh, 2018 period. One of the the quite decisive decisions we made um, was not to actually stream the video over um, a distributed ledger network okay. or uh, in any way. Um, and again, this was from just being in the space. We had a lot of history around um, testing out like peer to peer distribution networks along with Akamai um, when I was at Level Up, and there were big challenges there. And we're like, actually, this doesn't improve the user experience. And so we were looking very much at, like how to utilize the technology in a way that helped any of the end users of the platform. And in in this case, in video, it was obviously video viewers, video creators, and and advertisers, uh, potentially. And so we were looking very much about combining the technology to to solve some of these problems. So obvious things like micropayments um, and subscription models being um, tokenized, obviously, made that much more efficient. Also putting analytic data on chain as a way for giving more transparency throughout the, the stack, both for influencers, both for advertisers, platforms themselves, and also using some interesting um, approaches to things like how could you have a, a system of like a, an organic network where if you're a big creator and you wanted to help an up and coming one, maybe getting a share of their revenue in exchange for promotion mm. and things like that, mm. those sort of more complex marketplaces could be really quite easily um, orchestrated using dlt technology hmm. um, so uh, we launched veracity we did a, a an ico at one of the worst possible times in 2018 um, we raised about 18 million dollars uh, that's still running very very successfully today i exited that business um about a year and a half later um did, did some other stuff myself um, including getting married um, and okay. then I, I wasn't really looking for anything specific
0: hmm.
1: um knew i wanted to stay in the web3 space and that's when radix came up on my radar I instantly instantly fell in love with kind of their vision. I was like, this looks really cool, um, and I was fortunate enough that they had a position open at that time similar to my skill set. So I got on a call with with Piers, our CEO, and I probably spent about two hours speaking with him.
0: Huh, wow! And
1: as I said, it's it's one of those joyous companies which is so rare to join, where any any single person who works for us, you know, that if the company shut down tomorrow every single person will be able to get another job the next day. Hmm. But they choose to work at Radix and Hmm. at RDX because we've got a combined vision of of seeing what this technology and what platforms like Radix, like other DLT platforms can Hmm. do on such Hmm. a whole scale level. And we want to be a part of that. Um, Hmm. And so yeah, that that was the very quick summary of how I got into the space. So
0: what was that? What was that call like with Pierce back in back in the beginning? Was it was it him downloading all of his ideas and visions and you following along? Was it like a, a back and forth? Like like what was the there must have been some magic in that call clearly?
1: Yeah, so it was it was definitely a back and forth. So the Rad, Radix is a time is a network they were in the process of doing a bit of a, a spruce up with their messaging and really focusing. Because one of the big decisions that was being discussed, and, and I hadn't seen this from their public things at the time, was, is Radex a, a general purpose smart contract platform mm-hmm. or should it specialize in a certain area? And so one of the discussions I was having with peers was this was around when DeFi was really becoming a term. And one of the interesting things is from the history of Radix and the development that have been through many years previously, they've done examples of like, what would a decentralized exchange be like? What would lending look like? Hmm. Obviously, this was back in 2014, 2015, 2016, before DeFi was a term, before people were thinking mm-hmm. of these. And they were they were just thought experiments and, and basic prototypes. But they realized DeFi actually makes sense. Um, and we we're having some really in-depth discussions about how does How does DeFi really serve the market and and why it makes sense? And one of the big things that really clicked with me and and, and that discussion with peers is that a global financial market as it exists today has really one purpose, and that is to as efficiently as possible allocate capital based on opportunity and risk. Mm -hmm. And doing that, obviously, on a, a global asset layer, such as a DLT, is going to be far more efficient than anything else can be. The other thing to it, though, is a, a DLT itself has an additional cost in order to operate compared to a centralized service just by its nature. Now, to offset that cost, there has to be an economic incentive or an economic reason to use a DLT. And obviously, financial transactions uh, between counterparties is a very good incentive to have uh, additional security and transparency mm-hmm. uh, and immutability. So what Piers and, and the Radix team really saw was actually... DeFi was likely to be that killer application where that economic benefit and offset the cost of using a DLT and had a, a wholesale value add to an entire industry and a huge industry at that. And what we've discovered in the years since then, and what we've continued to discuss quite extensively, is what is DeFi? And when we first changed um, or first adapted our messaging to more heavily focus on what DeFi is and and how we're focusing on it and why we're focusing on it, was people coming back and going like, yeah, but what about NFTs or what Mm -hmm. about play to earn and things like that? Why aren't you focusing on those? Those are really big. Um, And it's one of the interesting things from our perspective is to us, those are DeFi because DeFi is anything where you're transacting things that have value assets that have value and so nfts have value play to earn games you're you're transacting things that have value even your identity and and your your persona online has a value to the people doing it so i would and and at radix we very much view that any time that you're transacting something of value on a dlt that's DeFi. Hmm. And when you think of it that way, there's actually very few things in web three that couldn't also be categorized as decentralized finance. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, it's interesting because um, at the moment uh, in discourses of DeFi, a lot of the narratives are around small players. A lot of the discussion is around the little guy and how the little guy can get in and have opportunities. But sounds like this, project the genesis of this project was actually more be ba- more looking at the large infrastructures of financial financial systems yeah
1: um in some ways so mm-hmm. our our mission at, at rdx is to give builders everything they need to mm-hmm. obsolete traditional finance with a decentralized network of applications mm-hmm. and by obsolete i i look at it very much like some people go well you're not going to obsolete traditional finance You're saying like citigroup or mm-hmm. or jp yeah. morgan are going to cease to exist and it's like right. i i doubt they'll cease to exist they will just operate differently and the analogy i like using to describe this is like the internet changed how newspaper companies operated but mm-hmm. media companies still exist and i right. think that's something we'll see with web3 is that traditional finance the way it exists today probably will become a very niche service for just in the same way as paper newspapers are quite a niche thing but mm. media companies or finance companies will still exist the big difference is that just in the same way as the the internet gave people a lot more choice of how they accessed media and and data and information mm. dlt's and, and defi give people a lot more choice of how they interface with financial products and and financial services so one of the things that i could imagine really coming is traditional finance companies actually starting to offer just a, a front end to DeFi. And the mm-hmm. big difference is just in the same way as they offer a front end to the traditional financial system mm-hmm. is today, you don't have a choice to, to not use one. You you have to take the the set Mm. menu that your banking institution offers you. Unless you're a a multimillionaire, you may get some more choices. But most Mm. people, you get your set choice that what JP Morgan give you or HSBC give you. And there isn't really much variance between them because there isn't really much competition between them. Mm. With DeFi, what you're really unlocking is the ability for potentially millions of more people to securely deploy and operate financial uh, applications. And that creates competition. And that competition if capital is able to easily flow between it obviously opens up a lot more opportunity for the for the capital owners um, of any size but also means that the products and services that can be provided tend to be more specialized tend to be more competitive between each other and you can create an a la carte menu of what your financial profile looks like Hmm. and why does that happen well it comes back to as i said that the entire purpose of the global financial system is to allocate capital efficiently having more choices and more ways to do that gives those cap gives that capital more choices of how it's allocated Mm. and a global asset layer that is a DLT gives that capital an efficient route to move between those opportunities
0: Mm. yeah I um I mean it it, you know it's it's sounding more and more like DeFi isn't necessarily going to trammel and get rid of CeFi but uh that uh even that there's going to be integration across the two that you know, I was reading this week about some things that Swift is up to and in incorporating blockchain technologies and in, into what they've got going on, and and similarly to I guess the way you know the the example you gave of the media in the sense or newspapers, you know, they're still uh, you know the New York Times is still a big player, and of course. and they might not print as many newspapers as they used to, um, but they're still in the business of the dissemination of information. But at the same time, um, there's also new opportunities for small players, blog posts, for example, people that have blogs and smaller news agencies to uh, get their messages out in ways that weren't necessarily possible uh, before, but also not possible for the New York Times necessarily. You know, in the past, the New York Times didn't, okay, maybe the New York Times might be a slightly terrible example, but you know, their ability to, to print and disseminate information, uh, with ubiquity around the globe in print format is not the same as its ability to do so in digital format. And mm-hmm. similarly with, um, with finance, the, the ability to have ubiquity is, is, is changing as well. Um, and so what, um, so, so what is the, um, what is the attraction for the layer one protocol work um you, can you talk about that a little bit
1: for for me I I love platform businesses mm-hmm. I think they are incredibly exciting to work in um because you are they're, they're incredibly complex as well but the key thing is you are not necessarily building for your success you are you mm. are building to optimize network effects of other people's systems mm-hmm. yeah so the way i look at something like radix as a as a layer one network when we're looking at creating an ecosystem uh, and a and ad d5 web3 ecosystem whatever you want to call it uh, when smart contracts come out with our Babylon mainnet in, in q2 2023 is very similar in many ways to say something like youtube you've got on youtube youtube no one goes to youtube because they like youtube They go to YouTube to watch content from a creator and Mm -hmm. creators put content on YouTube because that's where viewers go to watch it. YouTube's infrastructure. But, and so in the same way for me, the, the Radix ecosystem or any layer one ecosystem is very similar. You have capital and you have dApps um in defi and now mm-hmm. obviously capital is is somewhat a proxy for users and and dapps are somewhat a proxy for developers mm-hmm. our job as rdx and the the job of the radix public network is to never get in the way of allowing developers to build powerful secure intuitive dapps and for users to bring their capital to utilize on those where they see opportunity and
0: mm-hmm. the better
1: we do that then the more that system is able to grow and flourish because those two groups are are codependent Hmm. And what really excites me about that is that there isn't a it's it's constantly a balancing act, so the way I always imagine it is especially as you grow those businesses you it's like balancing a seesaw um, more than anything else you've got these two groups and if it gets too out of balance the entire system doesn't operate well if you Mm. again thinking of youtube if you have way too many videos and not enough viewers Mm. eventually the creators will be like what's the point i'm not getting any views so i'm going to stop making videos if you have way too many viewers and only a handful of videos the viewers are going to go i've seen every video now i don't want to come back anymore Mm. and this is similar to but as you grow can you can tweak this a bit more so early on in a platform business you could be like oh we're going to just go and license 10 videos and put them up and and run some ads for those 10 videos and get people to come and watch them that scales to maybe a hundred maybe a couple of thousand videos but then suddenly it, it stops scaling you can't process that much as a single entity you've got to decentralize that to a creator network and in the same way a layer one network you yeah, sure, you could build a couple of applications yourself, but you can't manage all of them. And actually being able to tweak this so other people can build on the success of the network and build on the success of the existing ecosystem to bring more capital, which brings more opportunity for more developers to come in, is what you tweak. So on that kind of balancing balancing seesaw, as it gets bigger, either side gets larger and larger, but you still only have that little bit that you can tweak from one side or the other to make sure that it's growing in balance.
0: Hmm, wow. Um and um so what what are the what are the ways that you feel are really significant f- uh, for not getting in the way
1: so the, the biggest thing is removing friction wherever possible yeah. so we we took the approach uh relatively early on that uh, to give a bit of history the first thing we at, at radix that was really core was the network had to scale this is yeah. table stakes at this moment like if whatever that bottleneck looks like if if the infrastructure cannot support its own growth and you end up with either really high fees or really low finality time or something like that. it's just not going to work it's going to be a bad experience for both users and also for developers and entrepreneurs. So that was the first bit which took a lot of work from the team to get to the point where you have Cerberus, which is our unique consensus algorithm um, that has massive parallelization, but also maintains atomic composability between all the different shards. We can go into that more if you want to, it's pretty technical. Um, Got lots of detail on our website on that if if people want to dig in more. What we then realized though, is that the, and and we realized this by speaking to around a thousand DeFi developers and also developers outside of, of Web3 is that actually the, the development experience is what was really challenging right. yeah. because while, while tools like Solidity, the, the programming language of Ethereum, does many amazing things and really demonstrated the way that things could be done, it was never designed for assets. And so right. yeah. that means that even simple things like the, the Ethereum network, with the exception of, of ETH itself, ERC-20 tokens have to be defined as a token every single time you launch the network has Mm -hmm. no no concept of what an asset is Mm -hmm. and so what this led us to do was actually create the the radix engine and the radix engine is our own execution environment so ethereum and many other platforms use the ethereum virtual machine Um, and on the radix network we don't use the radix engine and the way i like describing this as someone who's not a developer myself um just a bit of a geek is that (laughs) it's very it's very similar to how video games were created. So if you go back to the nineties, you, and if you wanted to make a video game, the way you started was having to define the most fundamental parts of your game world. Mm -hmm, How does physics work? How does light lighting works? Mm -hmm. What's the rendering engine? And the result of that was a developer spent a huge amount of time building those fundamental principles from scratch every single time, and Mm -hmm. then spent a very small percentage of their time actually making fun games. And Because these were really, really hard things to do, is you ended up having bugs in games you clip through a wall you fell through the floor like you Mm -hmm. had weird weird things that went wrong and in a video game that's annoying but that's kind of what we're like in DeFi right now and in web3 is people are still defining those most basic fundamentals of the the way assets move and behave which means that we get these exploits we get these bugs we get these hacks and suddenly you're not just clipping through a wall in a video game you're putting a million dollars on a virtual table that for some reason isn't solid anymore and it falls into oblivion hmm. that obviously isn't acceptable when you're dealing with financial transactions and just in the same way as with video games the big evolution was the the game engine so things like unreal and unity mm-hmm. came along, yeah. and we're like well every every game needs these fundamental things it needs gravity it needs physics it needs lighting it needs rendering engines and the key thing is they don't limit what developers could do so a game developer could still sit there and be like, hey, my game's in space. I'll just turn the gravity slider to zero, or I want to add on a bit. But what mm-hmm. it really created was a way for developers to spend more time building gameplay. And the result, right. as, we, as history shows, is the video game industry got bigger than uh, TV, cinema, and music combined. In a very short space of time, people came flooding in and had better experiences. And that's what at Radix we're, we're doing with the Radex engine is even just through simple things like making assets native functions of the of the network means that it's quicker to deploy and more secure to deploy and more intuitive to build web three applications than it would be on on other networks so that, that's one of the levers that we play with them and, and the way you do that is with our language Scripto, um that went mm. into early access uh, last year yeah but just seeing people use that, that's one of the most exciting things as well. Why, why I love platform businesses. It's its cool if people you work with day in, day out, go and build something cool. When you log on to Twitter in the morning or or into telegram or something like that. And we see one of our, uh, a, a developer in our community pop up and go, Hey guys, I've just built this thing. Could someone look at it and you've never mm. seen that name before. And you realize they've just built something really cool with the tech stack you provided mm. that's that spark of like, wow. As long as we can nurture that, that's something that I know that asset owners and, and capital is going to want to come and utilize in the future. And when they come over, then that's going to get more developers excited and that's going to mm-hmm. give more opportunity for more capital. And you see those those flywheels start spinning up, even from this really early stage. And, and that's what gets mm-hmm. me really, really excited about the space.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think I saw an announcement about Scripto. something is there some event coming up or some milestone in the near future? Yeah, so
1: um, De- depending on what time this podcast comes out um so <laughs> scripto a, a bit of a history so in at the end of 2021 we put it in early access um early access basically meant it run it would only run on your local machine and the reason we put it out so early is because again our our mission is to give builders everything they need. So getting it in actual builders hands as soon as possible to get their feedback to iterate on it and improve it was the most Mm -hmm. important thing. Mm -hmm. And and we've had great feedback from that. It's really helped shape how we're developing the language. That went into a public test environment. There was simulated consensus um, in Q2 2022. Um, in September it went on to Alphanet. So AlphaNet is a, a separate right. version of the of the Radix network where it's it's true consensus but on a, a closed network. And then at the end of twenty twenty two it goes into our beta net phase, where then it's on a a full network, it's running with a lot more of the the assets there, and then it goes into a release candidate. And then obviously uh, our mainnet that's already running is upgraded to what we call Babylon um, in Q2 uh, 2023, when developers can then deploy our mainnet and, and assets can start coming in to utilize those applications.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, exciting stuff. <laughs> what um what have, uh, What's it been like? Let me change, change uh, channels a little bit here. Um, one of the things that I, I like to talk about is um, what it's like working in the space as opposed to in other industries and other spaces. Um, so some of my personal experience has been just really the distributedness of the space. And uh, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is the, um, the, the feeling of collaboration and, and the ways that uh, people want to work together and build together particularly now in the bear um, you know all of the noisy uh, get in early whitelist guys are gone guys and girls are gone and uh, there's been a lot more um, lot more of a feeling of excitement around um, the potential for the future that we can build together as opposed to um, the money that we could make next week or next month if we get enough people in discord um, and you've been you've been in the space for a long time so maybe you you know you forget what it's like to be not in the space but um do you, do you have some some reflections there
1: many um yeah. <laughs> so i i i'd say one thing is it, even coming into web before I was in web three I was I was still in a startup space uh, Mm, like online video and and, and eSports so I've been very fortunate of working most of my career in like startup and scale up tech businesses Mm. so there's some similarities to that but what's really what's really exciting about web three for me is that inside the space I think it's very easy to feel like we're going a breakneck speed and mm-hmm. things are, are happening forever um mm-hmm. you wake up every morning and the entire landscape's changed yeah. and I think one thing we forget is from the outside actually we're not moving as quickly as we think like yeah, okay. if, if you go back to like and, and a lot of this is the the media around when there's bull markets compared to bear markets mm-hmm. and stuff like that but you go back to say like the 2017 bull market everyone was full on the train Crypto's going to replace all all assets in the world right, yeah. everything's going to be tokenized everything's yeah. going to be decentralized we're, well we're in 2022 now yeah that's not the case oh, but
0: yeah that's such a good point
1: <laughs> so things move very quickly on a on a fine scale but on the macro scale they still move mm. slowly and i'd say a big part of that is because we are still in the innovator stage and this is mm. really why i believe we get such good collaboration because there's there's no point fighting over the the first innovator stage of tech adoption Because we're all united that, yeah, this is a fraction of the people that get in, even if we get the um, early adopters to start coming in, which I'd say things like NFTs um, Mm -hmm. as a a, a bit of a boom last year really did do. It brought people who were in that next wave into understanding crypto and understanding blockchain in a bigger way than they did before. And we'll get beyond that. Everyone's pushing for that because suddenly Mm -hmm. it's like. And, and the example I always like using in, in DeFi is at its peak, DeFi was at what, $200 billion, which sounds absolutely huge in the amount of mm-hmm. assets available. But it's a fraction of a percent of the $400 trillion-ish global yeah. assets. and, and yeah, for economy. Sure. So you're like, no one's fighting over that. It's all like, how do we get adoption? And, and one of the big things here is, is making it usable, and that's mm. why a big thing and especially in bear markets the the expression bears are for builders um, yeah. is one that i particularly like and and one that resonates well with us at radix is we're still building the people we work with are still building they still they're not here for the hype they're not here for the the quick show they're here for the vision of a better system and what mm. we're working out at the moment is how to make that better mm. and the thing is it it's got to be radically better than what comes before and this is the same thing we saw with things like the internet. And there was a there was a really great um interview, I think it was with Bill Gates in the in the like 90s era of, of the internet, where some talk show host was speaking to him being like, Why would I want the internet? And Bill Gates was there being like, Oh, will you be able to read your paper online? And it was like the host was like why would i want to read my paper online i can read my paper anyway yeah but you can talk to anyone yeah i can talk to anyone already i've got a phone why do i need the internet and it was really frustrating for anyone who understood it because it's mm-hmm. hard to articulate yeah. what the internet was absolutely
0: yeah
1: without having hindsight and, and the end point of what bill gates said um or i believe it was bill gates anyway was um basically like it's not one thing it's all of them together that mm-hmm. unleashes this magic yeah. mm-hmm. and that's what many people in the in the the web three space, the DLT space C is like, once this all comes together, once that, mm-hmm. once you reach that point where it works and it works for the users who don't have to overcome shortcomings or, or worse experiences than they have with the solutions today, mm-hmm. suddenly people come flooding in.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: that's yeah. when that revolution happens so quickly, just in the same way as things like smartphones and the internet come by. Like mm-hmm. I'm,
0: I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm relatively- yeah. 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 Smartphones were like a catalyst for, Everybody uses the internet all the time now.
1: And and do you remember when, for me- It wasn't like, that long ago. I
0: mean, 2013, yeah. I remember walking around campus and I had a I had an iPhone, but not everybody did. Yep. Now I remember, it would be weird if you didn't have
1: one. Like really I, I weird. I remember the first <laughs> beer drinking app. Do you remember that app on the iPhone? You can no. pretend to drink a beer. No. So basically- uh, Imagine that. uses, that's your app <laughs> it, it used a gyroscope so it used uh-huh. the gyroscopic function within the iphone of it showed it be a beer glass and you, yeah. you tilted it like you were drinking yeah. and it, it it slowly drained down and that that again is sort of how i feel about web3 today is people mm-hmm. see that and they go it doesn't really do anything practical for real people mm-hmm. in real everyday situations mm-hmm. but it's a spark of innovation
0: yeah yeah
1: and this is again to going going back to the idea of like game engines or, or the radix engine and stuff like that is one of the the ideas i really like is engines drive revolutions not because the engine them the engine itself is the massive in, well it is a massive innovation but it doesn't do it on its own
0: what mm-hmm. it does is it
1: creates a spark so if you think back to like the industrial revolution or the steam engine the steam engine was essential for locomotives it was essential for looms for water pumps air pumps and it, revolutionized a whole ton of industries. the first it just needed that that initial spark idea of like, well, I have portable power now mm. that I can generate a large amount of power in a short space. I don't need horses. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly someone went, well, okay, now I can power a water pump. And someone else saw that water pump and well, well actually I could do an air pump now and we can make our minds deeper with clean air. hmm And all of these things really rapidly cascade and that beer drinking app on the iphone was that same idea like hey Mm. someone just made that beer drinking app, and that gyroscope could do that oh well i could do something really cool Mm. there with like a a spirit level maybe i could use that Mm -hmm. and suddenly you get those those quick iteration pieces which Mm. is why when like i I remember when apple were doing their whole like oh it's the 10 year anniversary of the iphone you sit there and you, you look back and reflect back on the time and you're like i remember when having an iphone was a you saw one yeah. Someone had one, you're like, oh, I my remember God, the I look first at time
0: it? I saw one. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And then you're like, this is 10 years later. How in 10 yeah. years did we go from that being like amazing to see one to suddenly everyone mundane? They're like one. running shoes
0: now. They're yeah. like shoes. It's like, oh, you have shoes.
1: <laughs> and I, I think that's the same thing we'll see with with Web3 and blockchain mm-hmm. and metaverse technology is or we it will feel slow to start with because it'll be it, and it is, it's a bit clunky right now. There's bits which cause friction. It's It's not ready for mainstream yet, Mm -hmm. and there'll be the point when the core users are all feeling really good about it Mm. and it suddenly clicks. Mm. And then we'll see that sudden adoption rate because it will just work. Mm. And we've seen that the same Mm. with electric cars is going through Mm -hmm. that exact moment. Right now is Mm -hmm. enough pieces clicked in place. Electric cars are suddenly taking Mm. off.
0: Yeah, I wonder about, you know, the NFT example, actually, as we're talking, because I know I've been telling people like, you know, nfts, in some way, for you know for in some ways, it felt like that was the moment that the mainstream interacted with web three. Um, it was the moment where, you know, because like tokens and and you know cryptocurrency, like that that wasn't really, you know, if you were going to make, a token or make a cryptocurrency, like that you had to have some kind of geekiness uh, about you to be able to do that kind of work. And then what exactly you're going to do with it, you mm-hmm. know, the ability to use it for some purpose um, is is far uh, more difficult to work out, to put into place than say NFTs. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when OpenSea arrived on, on you know, suddenly anyone and everyone, if you, although a lot of people didn't know this, if you knew how to use Instagram, you could be, you know, in technically you could jump into the Web3 space. All you had to do was take a mm-hmm. picture and upload it and you had an NFT. Um, but what I think now is that, so a couple of things there. One is that like, you know, in in, in that moment, people weren't really, Being onboarded into Web3 or blockchain technology, really, because nothing had really changed for them. It was it was really essentially Instagram, really is what OpenSea was. You know, post a pic, put put the picture here, and upload it for display. And there's some other stuff going on there. You can assign a financial value, and you can you know you can send the pictures, but you can also send pictures on Instagram. You know, so. Um, I guess, you know, there wasn't necessarily a lot more utility that appeared uh, other than being able to sell. And then once Mm -hmm. that utility went away, (laughs) once you couldn't make money doing that anymore, it was like, well, it all fell, it all fell off. It was like, well, there there was there, you know, we didn't really see actually the onboarding into, Mm -hmm. into Web3 um, that it, that it could have been. And then of course, Instagram now is saying, well, actually you can just do that here. Uh, you can make your NFTs uh, natively on, in our, in our site. Um, but, uh, there's a whole lot more that that technology allows, uh, people to do. And I think as people start to explore and understand and appreciate all of the different ways that you can use an NFT, um, I think that there will be, more onboarding proper into the I, into the mentality of D, of defi and the mentality of nft as opposed to like something that's actually not very much different from what you're already <clears throat> used to um, and um that uh but but that piece around making the platforms that enable and empower people to do that is really, uh, useful and really important because honestly, you know, the mainstream, isn't going to learn how to do so much uh, coding and so much developing, really it's, it's not really their role or their place to do that. And so it, it, I'm sure it, um, it must be exciting then to be in that sort of layer one space where it's like, okay, we can, we can, give people the tools that they require so that as you said with the video game example they don't have to learn uh, all all of the primitives and work their way from scratch we can just um people can just take advantage and leverage things that are already in place instead of having to reinvent the wheel every time
1: mm-hmm. and I, I think one of those using nfts as the example i think this is also where you get different stages of adoption mm-hmm. so for for most people they nfts became something new and then you start getting this thing being like well it's just a jpeg yeah and they kind of took the wrong thing from it and and obviously hmm. I, I think again in high sight, we can we can all see the the recent nft wave was a bit of a bubble but equally hmm. so was the dot com bubble a bubble but still even at its peak was a fraction of what the internet industry is today nfts hmm. in the same way like they can represent real real world assets within financial um interaction um not only like brick and mortar things, but also specific contracts, like option mm-hmm. contracts, derivatives, things like that. Yeah. And it's really hard to see that just yeah. in the same way as with the internet, it was really hard to see all the ways the internet would impact our lives until certain other technologies and things were in place that made it just feel good to use. Mm-hmm. And like you said, smartphones were a good example of that for many people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then you get into like the late adopter stage, um, and even the lug Lugite stage. So like my, my grandparents, they use the internet but they say they don't like the internet yeah. what they actually use is they they have a tablet and they like yeah. using like facebook messenger or mm-hmm. they like watching netflix like mm-hmm. my my grandma recently has just got into really loving Netflix and she's got a smart TV. And I've said to her, I'm like, why don't you want Netflix on there? And she's like, Oh no, I don't like using that smart TV thing. I like yeah. watching Netflix on my iPad because she just clicks the button.
0: Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Or not even
1: clicks just taps it. Netflix comes up. She can watch some shows. Yeah. She likes it. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously in the late, late adopter stage. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're still in that innovator stage. And I think we quite often forget that in the space. Um, but when, when you solve those critical pieces where the penny drops, you're know, like, this helped me do something so much better than I did mm-hmm. before. Like grandparents being able to see pictures of their grandkids from the other side of the country or a different country entirely. Mm-hmm. When you can video call someone easily from anywhere. Once, and some of that's infrastructure, it's not just the, the core technology. Once that all is in place and you actually have a great experience, that's suddenly when you're no longer trying to convince people to use it. Mm-hmm. You that's see right, that yeah. hockey stick growth yeah and and that's the piece which obviously the bigger the industry the bigger inertia you're trying to change the longer that takes until you hit that point but nfts especially started showing that potential of people being like I get this I see how Mm -hmm. I use this
0: yeah it's so interesting you know because I'm big in the nft space um I've worked with a lot of creators and uh you know it's, it's interesting to see that the, that the amount of um, people now that are talking about the utilities of NFTs is is increasing. You know, So it, it used to be that everybody was like, look at this, this is a cool picture. And look at this, Like, this is one of 10,000 or this is one of one or something like that. And now you know, we're really starting to see a lot more people posting and publishing their projects that are extending the um, functionality of NFT mm. and creating communities, creating clubs, creating access, creating um, proof of attendance, all kinds of really, um, really fantastic things that that um, that give people uh, tools that that they can build worlds with, which is which is really fantastic to see. Exactly,
1: and 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 that isn't even touching on things like soulbound NFTs. Right. And, and, yeah. And like, so soulbound NFTs are one of the things that excites me most in mm. the space. Right now is like an yeah. idea, and for two reasons. One, one completely from the radic side. I remember reading uh, Vitalik's uh, blog post about this and like CityDAO and stuff like that. And and one of the really fun things for us, which has happened on many occasions, was literally that weekend we put our blog being like, yeah, this thing that was uh, talked about taking potentially weeks, if not months, of research and, and planning and contracts. You could do that in a weekend on Rattles and with Scripto because the asset is a native function. And then that unlocks a whole bunch of new stuff because then people aren't thinking about how do I create that primitive or Mm soul-bound NFT? They're starting to think about how could I use that? And obviously simple things are like credentials, but you use the example of like proof of attendance or something Mm -hmm. like that. Imagine your ticket to a marathon was an NFT. There's a certain number of people you can get into a marathon to participate. And then the time you finished with upgrades that nft into a soulbound nft that you can't Mm -hmm. trade that is a permanent record of your Mm -hmm. time that you did simple example but something Mm -hmm. that again real people would really want that it gives authenticity and authenticity Mm -hmm. is something that we we have lacked some of especially Mm -hmm. in the web 2 area authenticity has decreased because we've had a very it's very difficult to prove something is actually happening instagram as an example is is fantastic for that like there's places you can go and take some photos for Instagram to pretend you're on a private jet. Yeah, 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 and I've seen that, yeah. You, yeah. you can't tell, like, it's really difficult. And, and this is bringing authenticity back, bringing proof of something you've earned and accomplished
0: mm-hmm. in a
1: way that is verifiable, I think open some really interesting things there. And again, that has a financial value. So for, to me, that is, that is still DeFi, because suddenly that is something that has a value to you that you want to have as proof that you did it proof that you achieved it that is verifiable to third parties because that's part of your identity and I think this is another piece of web three which people are starting to understand now is managing and controlling your identity is also going to be really Mm -hmm. really critical
0: Mm -hmm. yeah making making claims you know that it, it 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 gives the opportunity then for you to prove that you're not a dog you know, yep. everyone on the internet is a dog, but this yep. opens up opportunities to say, well, actually, no, I'm not a dog. Actually, this is what, this is who I am. And this is what I've done. And this is, there's, there's some there's some authenticity here. There's some, uh, credentializing here. There's some proof here that this is actually a real thing that I, that I did. And I see a lot of opportunity there in the education space, actually. Um, I've been talking to a few different people on different projects Um, that sort of, uh, being able to, um, put, uh, authenticity on, on learning, on studies, on experiences, on, on something that I, that I have inside of me that, um, maybe hasn't, that we haven't been able to do before. And, and, and then also including, I mean, you know, the look like, for example, uh, resumes, right. You know, Mm -hmm. you put together a resume, what's a resume. It's a story. Really, it, it's a work of art. It's fiction <laughs> until someone actually investigates and fact checks it. It's it's a work of it's a work of fiction, um, and so you know being able to you see you see things like you know what LinkedIn is doing, where allowing you to sort of put these credentials on your on your profile and then have it on the blockchain and be able to like verify instantly. Okay, this person actually did this program, and we get in another discussion about okay you know, how did they actually arrive to get the certificate, but, it, but it's a step in the right direction, I think.
1: And and all of these things are just in the same way as you, you wouldn't imagine what the internet would do today. Hmm. Back when in the early days of it, and, and right, again, uh, recipes to, to and circle,
0: family photos,
1: <laughs> to close one of the really nice circles, one of one of the things we when when I was in the online video space was getting people's idea that like people would watch other people play video games online was quite an unusual concept. But then like no one would have predicted that there would have been a, a big boom of people watching other people eat because right. of like a social thing of eating alone in, in right. many cultures is, is mm-hmm. really bad. Or people streaming just chatting or live vlogging. Or mm-hmm. one of my favorites of all time um, was there was one on Twitch TV called Twitch Plays Pokemon. Hmm. Um, and again just the raw innovation someone had of this if you if you're not familiar it was using the the chat on the live stream so the live stream was just a, a mm-hmm. game of pokemon on the mm-hmm. original Game Boy, mm-hmm. and people in chat could say up down left right a oh, B.
0: okay yeah and wow
1: they they were running a pooling service for the chat so every command was input and mm. this was literally running 24 hours a day for weeks and wow. had like coordinated efforts of people trying to complete the pokemon game by working collaboratively you had splinter groups trying to like mess it up and trying Mm -hmm. to get it to go the other way and like you never would have thought someone had built that like maybe someone would one one day in the past but like even when in the video space it caught pretty much everyone by surprise no one was like hey someone could do something like this Hmm. and yeah it was a bit of a fad It, it existed for a bit i don't think it's done too much now but like again these are the sort of incredible innovations that you need that spark for, you need that spark of something like an engine, something like the infrastructure that enables people to quickly, easily, and intuitively build these experiences that then suddenly take off. And things mm-hmm. like the iPhone did that and that beer drinking app did that for, for many people. The internet did it for many people. The game engine did it for many people. And my hope is that the Radix engine will do that for many more as well.
0: Yeah, so on that note, before we close, um, let's let's have you describe The the type of individual that should come and and be a a developer who like who's going to come and say, like, wow, I'm so glad that I showed up.
1: So I would say if you have if you've had any programming experience, if you've firstly, if you've looked at Web3 in the past and you've used something like Solidity and, and found it really difficult, you you had those sleepless nights worrying about like, is my is my app secure? This is really confusing. It's unintuitive. I don't get how I can build what I'm imagining. You should definitely come and try Scripto. If you're a hobbyist who just wants to see what it's like, want to understand how web3 may work, if you're a student, come and give it a go. It's really easy to get involved and not just get involved in like oh I created a token, but actually to build like a simple token swap application or an NFT marketplace. Um we're literally running a an event next week uh, where we're in one day, in seven cities across Europe, going to be running a workshop where you can launch an NFT marketplace as a new coder, all the way up to wow. if you're a fintech developer, you can, you
0: can launch your own NFT marketplace.
1: Uh, yep, we will we'll teach you. So on wow. the 20th of October, probably before uh, this goes out, we're literally running a, a day workshop, and and developers, we we guarantee you'll be able to come in if you know a little bit about Rust, which is the language is the underlying um, part of scripto, Um We'll teach you on NFT is minting the NFTs is super easy. It's a native function of the language, but coding in scriptor and NFT marketplace, you'll be able to do in a day. Wow. That is how intuitive it is to pick up and use. And the big difference is it's because you build as you imagine. Whereas wow. in something like Solidity, you don't build the way you imagine. You you have to think of it in a message-oriented way. You've got, you're have got you interacting often with like ERC-20 contracts, updating balances. And one of the big things that, that scriptor and the Radix engine does is it makes digital... Object, uh, digital assets behave like physical objects. And so the way you imagine the system being architected is actually how you create it. Wow. And that's just one of those things. And so, yeah, we're, we're in the early stage. And the, the other cool thing about Radix is when you deploy something to our, to our mainnet, um, you deploy the code as what we call a blueprint. And you can attach developer royalties to that. But blueprints can be anything from individual, like a token swap component, all the way up to full dApps. And then other developers can leverage your blueprint to build more complex applications and you can leverage other people's blueprints and all of that's on ledger. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of exciting stuff and, and being early on platforms like this gives you a great opportunity. So yeah, if, if nothing else, just come and have a great play. One of my favorite stories uh, in, in the short time that Scripto has been in the hands of developers is there's been two or three small competitions we've run to build simple apps. That have been won by people who had never been professional coders and had just picked up scripto because they'd been following Radix and wanted to have a try two, three months ago and then built a an entry to building like a lending application or an Oracle or something. Wow. And that's the really cool thing. Just in the same way as like game engines enabled people in their bedroom just to make a quick game. Huh. May not be a triple A title, but you can get into it really, really quickly.
0: Huh. Fantastic. Wow, this has been, I can't believe an hour's gone already.
1: (laughs) This has been fantastic,
0: Adam. Really enjoyable. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you um, very much for having me on. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put some uh, show notes for those that are listening who want to follow up. I'll get that from you after. Um, And uh, thank you so much. Uh, Really, really exciting stuff. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the day and the week. And uh, I'll talk to you again real soon.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening.